Ian Thorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold and a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on a third. He's got it. 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal. A perfect score. 10.0 for Dante Tabanici. A perfect score. The first time I've never seen it. Welcome to Off the Podium for episode number 99. One away from episode number 100, and two away from episode number 101. Uh, but we have a nice special episode today. We're, we're doing something a little bit different. And uh, I do have to say, this is actually one of the more interesting chats that we've had uh, with any athlete. Uh, in this case, author slash athlete. Today we're actually joined by Pat Melgaris, who is the author of uh, a biography on one of the premier running coaches in the United States. Uh, the book is called Chasing Excellence, The Remarkable Life and Inspiring Philosophy of Coach Joe I. Vigil. Coach Vigil is somebody who's been coaching in the United States, uh, you know, Olympic circles, college track circles for decades. And Pat himself actually did train under him when he was uh, a college runner back in the day. And now since then, he's gone on to write this book, which sounds fantastic. I have to say, like, you'll hear in the interview some of just the basic stories that he tells just about the beginning of Coach V. Hill's time as a coach, as a running coach. And based just off that, my interest is peaked to read the rest of it. But we get a lot more stories about Coach V. Hill, about Pat's time uh, as a runner himself, and even what Coach V. Hill's up to today. Uh, plus as well, maybe what his next idea for a book's going to be. Uh, this is a first for us as if we never actually had, I think we had, we had one athlete on who wrote their own book, their own biography, which was uh, Sammy Joe Smalls last year. But this is the first time we've had an author who wrote a sports biography about something else. And also the first time we've really been able to talk about a coach, which is something that's been interesting me for quite a while now. So here it is, our interview with author Pat Melgaris. <laughs> Well, we're thrilled to have a special guest with us here today. This is a, another first. We've been running through all these first sports where we've never talked to anybody before. And we kind of get to do two things here. We get to talk to somebody who we've never spoken to in a specific sport being distance running. But also for, I guess, technically the first time on the show, we get to speak to an author. Uh, the only other time we interviewed an author was a, an athlete biography. And now we get to interview a real author. Uh, <laughs> no disrespect for the athlete ones, but somebody makes a living out of this. And today we have Pat Melgaris on here, uh, who has an interesting history in the sport of distance running himself, uh, but also has uh, written a new book on uh, one of the uh, most famous track running coaches in the United States, uh, Coach Joe Vigil, and the book's called Chasing Excellence, The Remarkable Life and Inspiring Vigilosophy. Is it going to be Vigilosophy or Vigilosophy? It's going to be Vigilosophy, you bet. Vigilosophy. <laughs> it's, it's a made-up term, but it's, uh, yeah, Vigilosophy. <laughs> and, and this is Joe Vigil. Now, um, I guess before we even, you know, get into a little uh, background about uh, the coach himself, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history uh, in the sport of distance running? Well, thanks, Colin. I really appreciate, uh, you know, being on the show. It's uh, really an honor. But uh, 
I, I, was, I ran for Coach V. Hill in 1985 to 1989 at Adam State. We were Adam State College back then. It's Adam State University. And Adam State College was really a running, a small school running dynasty uh, featured in Sports Illustrated. During Coach V. Hill's time, we were 19 time, or he, he coached 19 national championship teams and 80 some individual national champions, 400 and something all Americans. You know, the numbers are just astounding. But my own career, uh, I was much, very fortunate to run for Coach V. Hill, very fortunate to run for Adam State. I was a four-time All-American at Adam State. I was mainly a 5,000 and 10,000 meter runner. I wasn't uh, 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 Olympic class, but I was you know, pretty good for a college runner. I was a sub 30 for 10K runner, uh, which is, is pretty good. You know, about a 448 per mile pace for six miles. So it was not too bad. So this and, is... Uh, this this yeah. is great for me to hear that you know, there's people who run that fast and I <laughs> I got into uh, distance running a couple of years ago I mean into my 30s and I, I think my best 10k time was maybe 48 minutes something so <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you know I always tell people it's wherever you're at and you can still enjoy distance running wherever you're at because there's always a goal you know I want to beat 48 minutes this time and anything mm -hmm. that you can do you get the same thrill running 48 minutes that I probably did at 30 minutes maybe more so because I couldn't breathe at 30 minutes <laughs> yeah, yeah I can imagine <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, did you end up going to university on like a track scholarship uh, or was it just something you fell into when you were there? No, I was I was recruited by Coach V Hill out of high school. I was a, a state champion in Colorado during my years. And I thought running was one of the paths that I thought would lead me to a college education. But I actually was not on a on a athletic scholarship. I was able to uh, get an academic scholarship. And back in the 80s, you know, uh, a yearly tuition for a small college uh, was about, oh, between $2,500 and $3,000, which is unheard of right now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, with an academic scholarship, I was able to get my way through college and didn't need the athletic scholarship. At the time when you started running, uh, you know, was Coach V. Hill somebody who was already, you know, a fairly well-known name in the running community? He was. He was, absolutely. Um in fact, 1988, he was the Olympic distance running coach uh, for the United States, and uh, that was when they were in Seoul, Seoul South Korea mm. that year. And in fact, he took off most of our uh, uh, cross-country season of 1988 to be with the United States team. So yes, he was definitely a household name. He had had many international uh, appointments to that point with the Pan American Games, World Cross-Country Championships, and, and others. And uh, one of our most famous alumni at Adams State was uh, Pat Porter, who was a nine-time U.S. national cross-country champion. He had broken the record uh, of consecutive national championships, and I believe the consecutive number was eight in a row that he won at one point. And Pat Porter was also a, a, an Olympian and uh, in the 10,000 meters. Now I told you I ran 30 minutes. Well, Pat Porter was more close to 27 minutes in the in the 10,000 meters. So, <laughs> you know, and and that was back in the days where you know it was uh, there was not a lot of guys running under 28 minutes for, yeah. for the 10,000 meters. Now there's a lot of them. The colleges are running sub 28 minutes now. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Coach Vigil, like his background? Uh, you know, I guess, was he an athlete himself before he got into coaching? And, and I guess, how did he get into coaching in the first place? Yeah, you know, it's a great story. But, you know, Coach Vigil's background, and this is what makes, I think, Chasing Excellence so such a beautiful story. The fact that he was born into poverty. I mean, his, 
his, he was born two months after the Great Depression hit the United States. So this is 1929. And so this is a guy who, you know, very early in his life knew no privilege whatsoever. His, he was raised by a single mother. He had two brothers. So she was doing everything she could just to keep food on the table. But even despite that upbringing, he grew up to be just a, a marvelous young man. He was uh, driven by Christian values. He uh, ended up becoming a uh, all-state football player in high school, uh, went on to the Navy, became a Golden Gloves boxer, eventually returned to college and was an all-conference college football player, also at Adams State College. And then uh, initially he uh, <clears throat> had taken a, a football coaching job in high school and was also teaching biology. But the very cool story was that uh, after his first year of coaching football at Alamosa High School, which is a small community down in Southern Colorado, he uh, just after school one day kind of wandered into the gymnasium where the track team was going to have a, a preseason meeting. Well, only three boys showed up to that meeting and uh, turned out that the head coach at that time the, for track said, well, I guess we're not going to have a track season. And Coach Vigil kind of looked to the side and saw that their tears were getting in these boys' eyes. And uh, he went home that night, told his wife, he said, you know what, I'm going to see if I can help those boys somehow. And he didn't know what the heck he was going to do, but he just thought, you know, I'm going to try to help those boys somehow. So went back to school the next day, asked the head coach and asked the principal, is it okay if I try to help these boys? And they said, yeah, 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 go ahead. But there's no budget. We have no money for you. We can't pay you, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he ended up, uh, those three boys made it to the state meet. One of them earned a state medal. And uh, that was kind of his beginning in track and field. What turned out the following year was that he had asked to be the head coach for track and field. And, uh, but they also wanted him to be the head coach for football. But at the school at the time, they had a rule that you could only be the head coach for one sport. So Coach Vigil, who was this local hero, so to speak, in football, you know, big, burly guy, strong guy, very powerful guy, uh, could have become the head coach for football, or he could have, uh, in my book, I say he could, he could meander over to this uh, strange sport that he just came to know by, by happenstance. And uh, uh, with that decision to make, he chose track and field, which is just pretty remarkable. And so that was his introduction to becoming a track and field coach. And that, was, that would not be the path that you, know, you would have thought he would have taken. You'd have thought that he would have pursued the football opportunity yeah. But he, after a year of coaching these boys and seeing a little bit about what track and field was about, he decided he wanted to pursue that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here in Canada, and even in Canada, I mean, football's not nearly as big as it is there in America. But, I mean, it, it would be unheard of for somebody here to say, I'm going to turn down football for track and field. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. was, it, uh, was it like the, 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 the kids that you were mentioning in that story where he, he kind of just said, you know, I want to be able to help these kids? You know, what specifically motivated him to go with track and field over football? Yeah, you know, he, he loves people. And and I you see that even now, he's 91 years old and he just loves people and he loves helping people. And I think that that touched his heart. The fact that these boys, it was important enough to them that when they were told they weren't gonna give the opportunity that they became emotional about it. And I think that touched his heart. And that is just a very clear indication of who Coach V Hill is. I think that this book, certainly it's a biography of a great track and field coach and there's no doubting his record and he's, he's done marvelous things in the world of track and field and distance running but he's an even greater man and I hope that the book truly gets at the fact that uh, 
you know, here's a compassionate man who overcame adversity throughout his life, and, and he did it by following his Christian values and believing in people. And, and, and that, right back all the way to those, those three boys, I think that that was, that was the first indication of the kind of man that he was and, and, and that he is. What type of coach was he at the time where, where you were underneath him? Was, was it a, a very personal relationship you had where you were aware of these stories or was it, was it just, you know, I, I'm the coach and you know, you, you do what I say, like, oh, did you get to know him very well as a student or did that come later on? Um, I would say he was, uh, he was obviously a very demanding coach, but also, uh, also a very personable coach. He was a kind of guy who, you know, could joke around with you, have a lot of fun. Uh, but, you know, it was no nonsense. If you were in the program, you were there to follow the rules and to work as hard as you could. And, uh, you know, if you, weren't able, if you weren't willing to follow the rules, then he wasn't going to have the time for you because, you know, there was a lot of people that were after his time. And it was really a privilege to be able to be part of that program. It's not just about being uh, with Coach Vigil, but it was all of the people that were involved with the program, the teammates, the support staff, all of those people that have, you know, really put their blood, sweat, and tears into the program, that it was a way of honoring them that you were, you were there to, you know, again, it was no nonsense that he, and he, he was the man who, who made sure that, that, that it stayed that way. What was your longest distance you ran before you started being coached by him? Yeah, I think in high school, I was uh, maybe eight miles. Uh, I was, uh, that was about the most that I did as a high schooler. But once I hit Adam State, because uh, Alamosa and Adam State is located about 7,400 feet in elevation, I'm not sure what that is in meters, <laughs> but uh, uh, basically a high altitude uh, community, we did not do a whole lot of mileage. I mean, I, I think it would not be atypical that college runners would be running 90 miles, maybe even 100 miles. But truly at Adams State College, we were running about 70 miles per week Wow! at 7,400 feet elevation. So, of course, you know, it averages out to about 10 miles a day, but typically had a long run of about 16 miles on the weekend. And then the other days of the week would make up that difference. Did you have but, to train like year round on that? Or is that just, uh, you know, during, uh, during the actual running season? Yeah, that was, that was pretty much year round. I think uh, in the off season, we would actually up the mileage a little bit. I think there was a time when I was up to 90 to hundred miles through, through the summer in the off season, but uh, it was a very uh, scientific based program where we, uh, we, uh, we would, train in cycles essentially so the fall you had your fall season leading up to a peak and then you take two weeks off completely it was mental and physical rest for two weeks completely you didn't do any running you could go ride your bike you could go swim go do whatever you wanted to do uh but you weren't you weren't to run and then and then you started training again in the uh, december january you ran indoor track you had maybe a day or two break and then you went right to outdoor track and, and then after outdoor track, you'd have your couple, two weeks off again, and then you'd train all summer long to get ready for the fall cross-country season. So, yeah, it was a runner's life, and we loved it because, you know, we had one of the guys who was not just a, a brilliant scientific mind in the world of distance running, but also a master motivator who, you know, you wanted to do him proud because he was that kind of loving guy that, you know, you wanted to make Papa proud. You know, mm -hmm. we, we were like his sons and daughters. 
and we wanted to make Papa proud. It's crazy that, you know, we've, we've talked about for a long time, you know, being able to, uh, I guess, get some coaches on the show and everything, because it's, it's a completely different mindset you have to be in, and not downplaying what the athletes do in any way, but the athletes often do have a season where they're training and everything. But when you have that two week layoff, I mean, the coach is there working, right. And, and in his yeah. case, yeah. you know, when he's not coaching yeah. you, he's training Olympians too. I mean, and that, yeah. that wasn't something that was new either in Seoul. I mean, he'd been training Olympians long prior to that. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and, uh, he, uh, he's, he's trained 22 Olympians. And I was one of the things that I was surprised to learn when uh, we were compiling that list is that he had Olympians back in the 1970s, mm-hmm. even that he had, had been involved with. Now he was not necessarily, they were not necessarily training at Adam state, but he had some involvement with them. One of the things I think coach is fond of saying is that, you know, we, I helped bring them along at the end, but there were lots of people who brought them to where they were. So I, I just think again, that goes a lot to the humility of this man that, you know, he might've been their coach when they made the Olympics or in their last stages of becoming the Olympian. But uh, he always has recognized that, you know, they're kind of the sum of all their parts. There were people who helped them along the way, but he just happened to be the guy, you know, that helped them, helped them at the end. And at what point did the idea of writing this book come to you or were you approached to write it? I don't know. I was approached and I got scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, Colin, it was something, you know, I, I held the man in such high regard, such high esteem that to be asked to actually write a book about his life, it really did kind of scare me because it's like you get one chance to do that. And if you, if you, if you gum it up, you know, it's going to be out there. You know, you only get that one chance to make it really good. Yeah. And so we, Alamosa hosted the first ever U.S. Olympic marathon trials in 1968, which was pretty remarkable. Anyway, Alamosa is a community of about 10,000 people. Well, the reason I bring that up is because it was 2018, the 50th anniversary of that uh, first ever Olympic marathon trials that we, we, we met in Alamosa and, oh, remarkable event. And, but during that event, it was, uh, we were in the, uh, in the bar in the evening having a drink and uh, some teammates of mine said, you know what, somebody's got to write a book. Pat, why don't you try this? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I've been a journalist for 25, whatever years it was at the time. And, but, you know, I've never written a book. And so it was definitely something where, you know, I said, I wasn't just jumping at the opportunity. There were other more experienced writers, at least book writers, authors, who had been approached with it and they had turned back it because they just thought that the story was too unique, that it had to be somebody that was maybe a little bit closer to the story to be able to tell fully this story. Well, I am a very faith-filled person. And so I, I did some praying and talked to my daughter and the story, as the story goes, and it's a true story, but uh, driving back to Kansas after that opportunity, after that event, I asked my daughter, who was 18 years old at the time, I asked her, Kara, you know, should I try this? And she looks at me and she says, Dad, if you don't, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And it just, just struck me hard. You know, it was one of those moments where it's like, yep, she's absolutely right. If I don't, I'm going to just kick myself because I have an opportunity to do something for a man that did something for me at a very impressionable time of my life. 
And so that was it. That was the summer of 2018. And by that fall, I had gotten Coach's blessing to go ahead and write the book and began interviewing. Ended up doing 50 plus interviews with people. Well, several interviews with him and then about 50 interviews total with uh, people who you know, had lived part of his life or had lived in part of his experiences, uh, just lots of different people that could tell stories. Because ultimately, the story of Coach Vigil is a compilation of stories. It's so many stories of his experiences uh, in the United States, outside the United States, with this athlete, with that athlete. And we all felt, those of us that got involved with this project, that uh, these stories are so compelling that they need to be captured. They need to be preserved. They need to be told so that people can grow and learn and see that uh, there was just a normal guy that just happened to do really fantastic things, you know, and, and so I think in a sense, by hearing these stories, people can see that, you know, anybody can do this if you're just willing to work hard and believe in uh, or, or, or follow what you believe in. And, you know, a typical sports biography might cover, you know, a 20, let's say maximum 30 year career. I mean, his career as a coach goes even beyond that. And then you add to that the amount of personal stories you're telling him in how did you even work about condensing that all into one book? <laughs> Is oh, that what kept know. you up late yeah. at night? <laughs> I have no idea. I think it's still keeping me up at night. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was exactly why I think I got so scared early on is because it's just it's just too much, you know. But uh, what I did notice is that as I started gathering stories, I started interviewing people, there became uh, common themes, you know, and and. And I think as I saw stories, that one story was similar to another, you know, then you just kind of choose which one's going to be a little bit more exciting to tell. Because I learned early in the process that I, there's no way you're going to tell all of the stories from a 65 to 70 year old, 70 year career. Mm-hmm. You're basically, uh, if you can find those that are truly representative of what this man stands for and what he's seen and what he's done and who he's helped, then I think that the, you need to be happy with that. And once I was able to get that clear in my mind and be at peace with that, the project became a lot easier because yes, you're right. I had volumes and volumes of information and I didn't know what I was going to do with it and how I was going to do it justice. So, Did you get starstruck at any point with some of the people you interviewed? For one thing, the foreword of your book is written by Billy Mills. I mean, that's about as big of a name yeah. as you can get in you know distance yeah. running history. Yeah, I know. I love that guy. You know, it's, I got to meet him actually uh, 15 years before this project. Even We were in Lawrence, Kansas, and he was giving a talk, and he's such a personable guy. He's he's also a Coach V Hill-like kind of person because you can walk up to him and feel like you've got a friend immediately. But uh, I would say 15 years ago I was starstruck, but in, in, the, in the years since, I had the opportunity to interact with him at least half a dozen times, and so for the book project, it was so cool because I had not even thought about him for the foreword, but it was Coach Vigild himself who suggested Billy Mills to do the foreword mm-hmm. for the book. Um, but gosh, I got to interview Dina Castor, who I had yeah. been friends with when she was in Elamosa. Um, oh, so you, know, you knew her others. from beforehand? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, I knew Dina I knew Dina Castor when she was Dina Drossen. She moved to Elamosa and I was uh, living in Elamosa. And uh, one of the first meetings she ever had with Coach Vigil was over breakfast. And it was Dina Drossen, myself, and Coach Vigil having breakfast together when she mm. just barely moved to Elamosa. She hadn't been there, I bet, not more than a week. 
And so um, it was funny because at the 50th anniversary that I talked about a little bit ago, Dina was there with her husband, Andrew Castor. And I asked her if she remembered that. And she absolutely remembered that time when she first came to Elamosa. And I thought that was kind of cool because, because you know, I mean, she obviously went on to much bigger things and has, has mm -hmm. lived a lot of life since that time. And, but, uh, uh, oh, go yeah, ahead. No, so there was just some fantastic people to be able to. I would say uh, a lot of the people that have made this book and the people that I was able to interact with uh, relating to this book, I've been fortunate to interact with over the years because of my association with Coach V Hill. And they're all seem to be very humble people. I, it just it just amazes me. And from my own personal observations, I feel like Coach V Hill rubs off on a lot of these people that he that he is around also. So I think some of that is a result of who he is also. Now I'm I'm gonna guess uh, and at least hope that you know after the long life he's lived he he's he's finally retired is he finally retired from coaching or does he still s stick his head in there every once in a while just to give some pointers to some kids at school or Olympics whatever? He's not retired. In fact, wow. he four athletes. Yeah, he's he's 91. He just turned 91 at the end of November, and he uh, he's loving coaching as much as he ever did. He's never retired officially from coaching uh at least olympic athletes and uh he had like i said he had four athletes that are buying in the olympic trials this year the u.s olympic trials and he's still continues to get up at four in the morning to read and to study and to do his work and uh it's just uh, it's just a routine with him he loves to get up at four in the morning and he'll like i say he'll do his work and he'll maybe go for a walk or whatever he's going to do for the day and, but he has no intention of ever not coaching. Wow. And he's read the book. I'm guessing, you know, he, he gave it a positive review. Oh, he's, he's so wonderful. Coach V Hill literally called my mother and thanked her for, uh, for raising such a fine son, which wow. of course <laughs> makes me, makes me blush to kind of even say that, but it just makes my heart warm to know that he would say something like that to my mother, you know, cause he's just, He's just so excited on how the book's gone. And he's gotten a lot of feedback from people in the track and field world that say that they've really enjoyed his book. So to me, you know, it makes absolutely no difference what money or, or notoriety or anything else that I might gain from this. All that I really cared about is that Coach V Hill smiled when he saw the book and that's what he did. And so to me, it's, it's all gravy. Everything else is gravy. So either your own opinion or even maybe what uh, you know, what he's uh, thinking right now. How, how, how do you think that Tokyo is looking right now for the U.S. Uh, distance running? 5K, yeah. 10K, you know, half mar full marathon? You know, the Americans are doing great. Yeah. You know, I'm not as, as in tune to what, uh, you know, how close, how, how we're going to do on the world stage, you know, in terms of Olympic medals. But, uh, but Americans have been doing really great in, in recent years. Uh, you know, since Coach Hill started uh, one of the elite running clubs, Team USA California in 2000, the uh, uh, USA has won a, a distance medal in every event from 1,500 on up, including the steeplechase, except for the women's 5,000-meter run. Wow. So that was quite, that's quite a stretch for the, American, for the United States just because uh, before that time, we were getting hammered on the, on the world stage. And so the last 20 years, uh, uh, um, U.S. distance running has really done really, really well. So I would assume that we're going to be, we're going to be competitive once again. Yeah. 
do, do you remember if whether it be through workout uh, suggestions or anything like that or even just a pep talk do you remember like the, the one great lesson that he taught you that still sticks with you today you know for running or anything else oh yeah i mean live your life to uh to uh, serve others and to better yourselves every day. And I think that goes back to him getting up at four o'clock in the morning every single day, you know, even today that he's trying to better himself at 91 years old, even though he's one of the most uh, renowned distance coaches in the world, he's still trying to get better. And I think, you know, we talk about when we're kind of talking about the title of the book, it was Philosophy, And that's a lot of what that stands for is, you know, trying to make yourself better every day. And uh, the uh, runners, we fondly called ourselves the Vigilantes, which actually is spelled I just like, like vigil- Vigilantes, but it's, we, we, we pronounce it Vigilantes. We take a lot of pride in trying to espouse the same values that Coach Vigil did. And again, it was you know, what can you learn today that'll make you a better person or make the world around you a better person or <laughs> make the world around you better yeah. or make, you know, make maybe the people around you better? You know, how can you help somebody else in your life? And I think that that is a core principle of being a vigilante is that you're there to serve others, not necessarily to be, you know, to let the spotlight shine on you, but help the spotlight shine on others. And do you still run yourself, even if it's just for fun? Do you participate in, you know, uh, 5K, 10K fun runs, anything like that? I do. I do, actually. Uh, on uh, uh, Just recently, I ran 105 days straight, which I've, I have not done Ooh. that since I was in college. I was, just, I was just really motivated. I had set a goal to actually hit about uh, for Easter, for Lent this past year. I wanted to run for every day and I had enjoyed it so much. I just kept right on going. Wow. And uh, just last week, I ended up uh, at 105 days and decided it's time to take just a little bit of time <laughs> off and maybe be a little more sane about it. But I still run, yeah, four to six miles a day and I'll, I'll occasionally jump into a race here and there. But I don't, I don't get the thrill from competing that I once did. And once mm-hmm. you, you kind of lose that hunger, it's, it's not as fun to to race for competition, but I love being part of the crowd. I love being part of the energy and by and large runners, distance runners have such a positive attitude, positive outlook towards life that I love being around people with those kinds of attitudes. Yeah. Even just outside of competitive, like, you know, Olympic running and everything. One of the things that uh, uh, I thought was so great over the last year is, you know, obviously all the marathons and everything were, were shut down because of COVID last year. And, uh, you know, yeah. I typically will do three half marathons throughout the year. You know, all three ended up having to go virtual and, you know, there was still a lot of enthusiasm for people, but everybody who's doing a virtual thing is like, you know, I'm going to keep doing this, but I'm missing being able to run with other people, you know? And yeah. some of them have yeah. said, you know what, we're going to give you a bonus run. We'll do two half marathons. So sign up for <laughs> half the price or whatever, but you know, it's, yeah. it's going to be nice to be able to get some, uh, some, some competition back there again, some crowds yeah. and, you know, people running together. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just, it's just wonderful energy. And I think that that's, you know, it's, it's neat to see that because running's not just good for you uh, physically, but it's also good for you mentally, you know, and I, I think my wife would probably want to, kick me off the door if I would stop running, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, before we uh, quickly mention the book right at the end, do you have any plans for a second book? Is that something you, you, are you still recovering from that? Is it harder to recover from writing a book than it is 105 days of running? No, I tell you, I do. I, I, oh, I'm, I'm excited. I, ha- I do have another uh, book opportunity with the same publisher actually. And uh, 
we, uh, we want to talk about three of the greatest mountain runners in the history of that discipline. And uh, it is uh, Pablo Vigil, uh, Ricardo Mejia from Mexico, and uh, um, uh, Killian, oh, I just forgot Killian's last name, <laughs> uh, from uh, France, basically. And uh, they, are, they are the three distance runners that have dominated the Sierras and all mountain race in Sierras and all Switzerland. And uh, the uh, idea is that they're not only fantastic mountain runners, but there's a very spiritual part of why they run and kind of the, um, the idea that they take care of Mother Earth at the same time that they're, uh, you know, running, running across all these mountains kind of thing. So it should be a really interesting book, but it will be probably very visual also. We hope to be able to get all three of those together. And mm -hmm. hopefully that'll be a book that you'll be hearing about in a couple, two, three years. Oh, and we'll gladly have you back on to plug that one too. Uh, awesome. Chasing Excellence, uh, you know, it's, it's out now. I mean, I'm seeing some great reviews for it. I mean, people seem to love this. Just the way you describe his life story alone, I mean, you could cut the sports part out of it, and that's a great story right there. Uh, is this available? Where, where is the easiest place for people to find this? Uh, it's, I think the easiest way to find it would be, uh, well, directly from our publisher, and that's solsticepublishing.com. Solstice is like S O U L. This, so like books with soul, S-O-U-L, solsticepublishing.com. I believe you can also find it on Amazon now. And so that's probably the two easiest ways to get the book. One, one nice thing about the book is all of our books that are purchased through Solstice, there's also a portion that's sent to Adam State College to help uh, build a scholarship in Coach Hill's name. So we oh, really wow. appreciate when people will order through our publisher and uh, because that money's going to go back to to help something that Coach Vigil was instrumental in building. Wow, I'll be I'll pick up my copy. So <laughs> everybody right. else follow suit there. Uh, Pat, it's been a pleasure to have you on here today, and I'm uh, looking forward to the next book. Looking forward to this one. And uh, you know, if, if you're ever up here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, or I'm ever down there in Kansas, Ooh. we'll uh, do a 10k together or something like that, and uh, I will. Uh, allow you to wait patiently for uh, 20 something minutes for me to cross the finish line. <laughs> well, sounds good. I wish I could be 20 minutes ahead of you, but I probably wouldn't be, but we, I'd, I'd enjoy that. I'd, I'd enjoy that a lot. I, in fact, uh, been to Vancouver. That's my only venture into Canada and I love Vancouver. I want to check out Winnipeg. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. One of these days. All right. Hey, Colin, I really appreciate it. Really all appreciate right. all your support. And it was an absolute pleasure talking to Pat. Uh, one of the more interesting interviews we've had, you know, it's something that we haven't had the opportunity to talk about coaching before, haven't had the opportunity to talk to an author. And I can tell you, I've already ordered the book since we've interviewed this, so I'm excited for it to come. And it is something that people can check out now. If you're interested in Peak Like Mine, uh, you can actually find the book, uh, as Pat said, uh, on the publishing website, which is solsticepublishing.com. That's S-O-U-L-S-T-I-C-E publishing.com uh, the book again is called chasing excellence the remarkable life and inspiring v philosophy of coach joe i v hill uh, it is also available on amazon and other places where you can find books uh, but uh, definitely something that we encourage everybody to check out and as i said my interest peaked i'm waiting for my copy to come maybe we'll do a review once it comes out i don't know with this episode done that brings us 
all the way up to episode number 100, which is next. And like we did with our 50th episode, uh, we're going to be giving you kind of a best of. So you'll hear clips from pretty much all the interviews that we've done uh, and all the episodes we've done over the last 50 episodes. You know, we had some fun little side projects in there. One of the more interesting things is uh, our co-host Ben, who spent years telling us on the show about how he started an Olympic bid for his hometown of Hobart, uh, successfully got this taken off to the point where it went way beyond what he expected it to. That was actually one of my favorite episodes. You'll hear clips from that, clips from all the athlete interviews we've done, uh, some of the recent ones that people have heard you know, that you can still find, Tessa Virtue, uh, the curling series we did with Jill Officer and Mike Harris. And after that, we do have episode 101, which is already recorded, and we're going to be talking to another distance runner. Uh, so stay tuned for that. That'll be coming in the next couple weeks. Probably by the time that's up, we might have another episode in us before that, but we're basically going to be into the Tokyo Olympics. We're now four weeks away from the Tokyo Olympics, and I honestly can't be more excited. I've already booked my entire vacation, two weeks of vacation, just to watch the Olympics, and we'll be bringing daily coverage of that. So if you haven't already, subscribe to us, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find us. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and stay tuned next week for our 100th episode spectacular, followed by our 101st episode spectacular.